Randy. And I'm Claire. And you're listening to Killer Vibes. A true crime podcast. (laughs) Welcome back, everybody. So we're talking about my favorite murder case, which, surprise, the Black Dahlia murder. Um, And we left off last episode with um, Elizabeth Short moving back home to Massachusetts after being arrested for underage drinking. Good stuff. So um, when Elizabeth's body was identified, they had her fingerprints on file, and that incident is why. So it's actually a good thing that she got arrested that night because we may never have figured out who she was because Mm -hmm. her family lived so far away. So Elizabeth was really into movies, as we all are, or claim to be anyway. I know a lot of fake movie people like myself who has (laughs) really only seen, like, the bare minimum of classic films. (laughs) And I can say, oh, yeah, I watch Wes Anderson movies, kind (laughs) of. But, yeah, so she was really into them. She loved movies. They were sort of an escape for her when she was a kid and living in Massachusetts. They had a rough childhood. She had four sisters, and her mom was the sole breadwinner. So you can imagine that they were pretty poor, and they didn't have the means to, you know, like go and do all of the entertaining things that the other kids were going to go do. So the movies were sort of an escape for her. And in addition to that, Elizabeth was a gorgeous woman. She Mm -hmm. was ravishing. Like, she was a beautiful person. She had jet black hair, was tall and thin, and had really pretty blue eyes. She is the epitome of Hollywood female at this time period. And in addition to that, she was a really good person. Um, She had a big cloud of people that surrounded her wherever she went, she always made friends, um, and she looks beyond her years as well. So she looks really grown up. Um, you can see plenty of pictures of her on Google if you want to Google her. And she looks a lot older than 22, which is the age when she died. So all of those pictures were taken when she was younger. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can just see how young and pretty and just she's just a gorgeous woman. Um, she has really strong, austere features, just lovely. Um she dated a guy in Massachusetts named Gordon Fickling, and he was a pilot, but they broke it off when he was deployed to Europe in World War II, um, which was currently happening at the time because she's now back in Massachusetts. It's 1943. Well, 43-44. Um, so after he left, she started dating another pilot named Matt Gordon. So there's Gordon Fickling and then Matt Gordon. So there's two... There, Okay, (laughs) I just won't confuse that. Um, So their relationship was a lot stronger than her first relationship. They were going to get married Mm -hmm. and they had plans Mm -hmm. to get married. I know Um, they were never formally engaged, uh, but he had promised marriage to her like after he got back from his deployment in India. So he left for India and um, he actually died in action in 1945 which sucks because that's also the year that World War II ends. So, um, doesn't he die like right after the like, or no, I mean, sorry, right before the war ends? Yeah, like, yeah, it's frustratingly pretty, close to the end of the war. Yeah, it's pretty tragic. Um, he was a pilot. He died in action. Um, so I don't know exactly. I want to say it was days. Yeah, I want to say yeah. it was less than a week. It was really close yeah. to the end of the war. Like it was scarily close. Which like, is like such yeah. a bummer. I know. It, it kind of sucks. And of course, Elizabeth is absolutely devastated. So tragedy strikes her life. Um, and some weird things start happening for her. And she actually starts to claim that they were married. This is not true. 
But she starts to say they were married. And then she also starts to say that she had a miscarriage and had been pregnant, which is also not true. I can't really blame her for these falsities, though, because she's clearly heartbroken. And it's almost like she has to cling to a false reality in order to make the relationship feel more permanent. Does that make sense? If she if she had been pregnant with his baby, then she is now forever connected to him. Absolutely. Even if they didn't officially get married. Right. I I mean, a little crazy, but I get that. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, we all face tragedy and deal with it in different ways. And for her, it was kind of she exaggerated the truth in order to make herself feel better. Um, So anyway, so at this point, she actually starts getting back in contact with Gordon Fickling, who had been deployed to Europe. He was the guy before First Gordon. Matt. Yeah, the first Gordon. Gordon number one. Yeah. <laughs> and um, they had some correspondence, and she actually decides to move back to California. So she goes back to Long Beach, no, which is what I know. Don't you ever, will be murdered. You will be murdered. I'm I'm not saying that people from California are all murderers, but I'm not going to move there. <laughs> <laughs> Love you guys, but I'm not going. <laughs> um so she moves back to California, this time to Long Beach, and she lives together with Gordon Fickling for a little while, but they actually break up again, and she moves to Los Angeles. Um, of course, we all know that Elizabeth Short had this desire to be a movie star, mm-hmm. as all of the, not all of them, but the majority of young women who were moving to Los Angeles wanted to be movie stars. They wanted to be models. And she looked perfect for the part, but for some reason she struggles quite a bit in her um, pursuit of modeling jobs and um, acting jobs. So she bounces around from place to place and she actually ends up living in nine different places in the span of just four months, Mm -hmm. which is a lot of places. And she dates a few more people, starts building up her you know, cloud. She wants to be involved in this world and it sucks that she has to do it that way, but that's how she had to do it. So she ends up living with a guy named Mark Hansen from May to October in 1946. I'm not really sure what happens there. I'm not sure if they had a Wait, decent... this guy's last name is Hansen? Yeah. Why do we have so many repeated last names? I don't that's know. That's so interesting. Everyone stop having boring last, last names. <laughs> Hansen, like, Gordon. Just be original. I mean, my last name is pretty ordinary. <laughs> Oliver. Yeah. It used to be different, though. Olive with an R. Yeah. That's usually (laughs) how I tell people to spell it. I know everybody can spell it. It's pretty easy. (laughs) Anyway, so um, I'm not sure what happens with her connection with Mark Hansen. I didn't dig too deep into that because it's not super essential. Um, But she does live with him for a period of time. Um, He's significantly older than she is. So I'm assuming they had some sort of a relationship. Anyway, um, at the end of it all, she is at the Chancellor Apartments, which is basically like living in a studio apartment, but with like seven other women. So she's kind of cramped in a really small room. A whole bunch of other girls are in there and she's not making a lot of money. So she's struggling pretty heavily. And we see her buy this bus ticket to San Diego on December 8th, 1946. So... I'm not really sure her motivation for buying the ticket. Maybe she just needed to get out of Los Angeles, escape for a little bit. And the reason I have this assumption is because this um, she ends up falling asleep in a theater 
uh, this theater called the Aztec Theater in San Diego. And this woman named Dorothy French finds her and she kind of wakes her up and is like, are you okay? And Elizabeth is clearly struggling. I can only imagine what their conversation was like. She was probably pretty teary-eyed. Her life had been pretty... I don't know, like she hadn't ever been cemented anywhere. She was moving around all of the time. And so Dorothy takes pity on her a little bit and lets her stay with her and her mom. So Dorothy lets Elizabeth stay in her house and she stays for them with them for about a month. And this is when she gets to know uh, Robert Red Manley. He'll be important later. <laughs> so he was married, ladies and gents. And he would later claim that the relationship he had with Elizabeth was not sexual, but they did spend a lot of time together. So you won't like the way they met. And I'm going to tell you how they met. Okay. So um, I'm just going to call him Red for convenience. So Red sees Elizabeth at a bus stop in San Diego one night. And it's dark, it's cold, and he g- drives his car up to the bus stop and asks her if she's okay And he's like, do you want to ride? Elizabeth, being an intelligent woman, says, no, I'm okay. I'm just here to wait for the bus. It'll take me exactly where I'm needing to go. Red is almost like scarily insistent that she get into his vehicle. Luckily, nothing happened. But I wouldn't suggest getting into a strange man's vehicle who is very insistent that you get into his vehicle. Yeah. Um, It's just not a smart idea. The answer is... No, no, thank, thank you. you. And then it's, uh, F off, you creep. <laughs> yeah, right? And then you get slightly <laughs> more aggressive. Yeah, so she does get a then ride you call from him. Yeah, exactly. Because we all, we all have mobile tele- like telephones, so call 911. Call the police, apologize later. Yep, yep, exactly. <laughs> Just punch him in the face and then deal with it later. Um, Murder so, him, then apologize later. later. It's fine. That is not right. <laughs> um, so Elizabeth gets into his car. Obviously, nothing happens. He drops her off where she's supposed to be, and it's all okay. But they start to become friends. Friends. And I'm doing this in quote, friends. Mm-hmm. Um, at least that's what he says. And we don't have Elizabeth to corroborate that statement. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure what their relationship was really like. So Red would actually be one of the last people to see Elizabeth alive. Wow. I know. Convenient. I know. So on January 9th, 1947, just six days before Elizabeth's body would be discovered, Red dropped her off at the Biltmore Hotel in Los Angeles. So they had driven from the day before on January 8th, and he had taken her to Los Angeles. Again, he was a salesman, a traveling salesman, so he moved around a lot, so it probably wasn't that big of a deal. They had stayed in a different hotel, I'm sorry, guys, I don't know the name of this motel that they stayed in. Um, But he says that they stayed there platonically, and he emphasizes that pretty heavily in the interview he made with police. And um, he says she fell asleep in the chair, and he ended up just sleeping in the bed. So he just dropped her off the next day at the Biltmore, and that was the last time anyone saw Elizabeth Short alive. So a few hotel employees, sorry, maybe not the last time, a few hotel employees (laughs) saw her um, only the day she was dropped off, but they didn't see her on any subsequent days. Mm -hmm. So the next time anybody would see Elizabeth was on January 15th when her body was discovered. So rough time. (laughs) I know. So back to the murder. Um, I just wanted to talk about Elizabeth and her life because I think her connections and the way that she lived her life ultimately 
killed her. Right. And I'm not blaming her for any of that, first of all. But she did make some shady acquaintances, and we'll get into that um, when we get into when we dive into the suspects. Um, but yeah, you just have to be careful out there. Make sure the people you know are actually good people, and uh, don't take everything at surface level. And so. Elizabeth Short has a lot of people criticize her for sleeping around, for being just really staying with all these random men. Yeah, and it's just like. Shut up. Like, yeah. stop. Just stop. <laughs> the slut shaming is It's too not far. okay. It's no. not okay. No. Even casually, even jokingly, s- just stop doing it. Yeah. And if someone makes a comment about someone's outfit or about them casually sleeping around, just, like, tell people that's not cool. Yeah. And like, it isn't cool. Like, it's nobody else's business but the person who's wearing that clothing. So, yeah. Or the person who's... Involved in their own sex life. Like, right. Like, it, that's not it your business. To do with you. And it doesn't make you a more important or a less important or a more desirable or a less desirable person. Like, absolutely. And when men do it, they're high fived. So it's yeah. just like, stop. It's just dumb. <laughs> so, overall, mind your own business. And she was like trying to infiltrate Hollywood. And yes, which is as, a hard thing to do as even an today. outsider with no money. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. So, I mean, sleeping around, networking, call it what you want. I'm going to call it networking. Yes, we'll call it networking for what it actually was. And it is very unfortunate that that's the way that it had to be. I wish that that wasn't the way that she had to go about things. I wish that men in Hollywood were slightly more professional and less gross. But that's not true. That's just not the Still reality of the today. situation. Exactly. I Harvey mean, we Weinstein, cough, yeah. cough. <laughs> exactly. And all of his associates. You know, Bill Crosby and all that stuff. It just sucks. And that was a reality for the entire existence of Hollywood. It has never changed. It hasn't. And so to criticize her for her lifestyle is just... It's like criticizing any of those women that were involved in any of the recent scandals that have come to fruition. So if anybody wants to badmouth Elizabeth Short, they can have me to talk to. Yes, we're taking numbers. We'll schedule. <laughs> we'll schedule appointments, and I will debate you into the ground. Okay. We'll just yell at you. Yeah, basically, that's really what will happen. Anyway, okay. So, back to the murder. <laughs> After I get down from my my soapbox, so the coroner's report stated that Elizabeth Short had died of hemorrhage and shock due to concussion of the brain and lacerations of the face, which means that, like I said before. The killer had carved that smile into her face when she was alive, and she died ultimately of blood loss, which is truly something out of (laughs) nightmares. I mean, first of all, she was tortured, and we know that because of the rope burns on her hands, her feet, and her neck. And um, we don't even know how long she was tortured for. And her... The way that the rope burns were positioned on her wrists means that her hands were not tied together. They were tied down separately. So whether that meant that she was tied to a chair or she was tied with her hands up, I'm not really sure. We, we may never know what actually happened. Um, but the fact is, is that she was tortured pretty badly. And um, after the torture, her face is carved into creating a permanent smile like some sort of sick masochistic joke. And then she's beaten on the head until her brain hemorrhages and she ultimately dies of shock and blood loss. So like literal nightmare. Yeah. That's so 
she I, just looks like the Joker. Honestly. Yes, like she, that's what it looks like. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's horrible. And I think that people only focus on the fact that it was, she was split in two. That was done after death. Yeah, that was done post mortem, yeah. and so the dismemberment was yeah. not when she was alive. No, which thank God. Yeah, right. And I don't <laughs> even know if she was sexually assaulted. I didn't see that anywhere. I don't think she was. I don't think she was sexually assaulted. I didn't see that in any of the reports or anything like which, that. Which, for some reason, makes it worse. Yes. Like, I I know that sounds super weird, but I'm just like, some creep just wanted to, like, cut a woman up. Exactly. And they didn't have a sexual motive. That makes it, like, weirder to me. Right. Like, and I wouldn't want her to have been assaulted. You know, exactly. that's not what I'm saying. But it's just like, right. that makes more sense to me. Yes, there is a, um, there's a level of understanding that I can come from if it the case is motivated by sex, which I think Brandy can also sympathize with that. And um, it could be, though, despite the fact that her body was not assaulted after death. We or, think. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but some of the suspects, it probably actually was motiv- motivated by sexual means. Right, because, I mean, for some killers... Merely, like, cutting someone is, like, their sexual yeah. pleasure. It doesn't have to be, like... It doesn't have to come from the actual like, act of Felicia. Right, right. So, just so we're all on the same <laughs> Ooh, page. another good word. Thank you. I know. This is smart. I was going to say penetration, but yours is so much better. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, okay. So, um, because of the gruesome nature of this crime and how violent it was... I am not even going to assume. I think I know that she knew this person. Oh, yeah. Because. For sure. Yes, absolutely. Just because of how horrible it is. Yeah. And um, she had this massive circle of people, like I said, a million times. Like, she knew a ton of people. She had a huge social social surrounding. Um, And this act was clearly one of cruelty and intention. So she must have known this person. Yeah, it's su- it's super personal. And I think that, like, even if she, because I know our suspect, even <laughs> if she had not had a meaningful relationship with the the person, I think that she would have had to have had enough contact where that person, like, built some sort of, like, fantasy in their mind that they mm-hmm. had to play out. Even if it were, like, like a barista or something. Like, right. she knew them... She had some sort she of communication sort of that communication. was yeah. lasting in their mind. Absolutely. Yeah. And we'll get into how she knew maybe all these suspects. <laughs> maybe. We don't know. Maybe. It's a cold case. No one knows. <laughs> um, okay. So another interesting aspect of this case is the relationship between the media and the LAPD, which is also true for the Zodiac slayings. Yes. It yes. is. I know. The media. Fancy that. We're it's here. It's funny that We're we, doing the thing. Like, we would pick... As our favorite cases, one's so similar. That's so, I know, right? It's that tells nuts. a lot about our friendship. I know. It's pretty solid. It's solid. It's pretty good. Yeah. We're best friends anyway. <laughs> okay. So the Herald Express and the Examiner are going to be mm-hmm. the two newspapers that are heavily involved with this case. Obviously, you have a whole bunch of other ones that are integrated into it as well. But those are going to be the two really big papers. So the Herald Express actually had a working relationship with the LAPD previously, and this relationship was, you know, continuing with this particular case. And that made Captain John Donahue of the LAPD really angry. (laughs) So we have John Donahue and we have Detective Hansen, 
and the other Hanson and then Detective <laughs> Detective Brown. Brown. So those are the people that we have. Um, and he was in the early stages of this case. He was pretty heavily involved in this case um, in addition to the other two detectives. And we'll see his name pop up every once in a while. Um, but he did not like having the relationship with the newspapers, which I can get. But as someone who is a reporter and who has... <laughs> I haven't done any really major crime reporting at all, but I have had to strike up relationships with people. I would have totally made this bargain and been like, hey, I'll give you something if you give me something. And um, the killer actually had direct communication with the newspapers. So Captain Donahue kind of had to strike up the bargain and say, "Okay, we'll give you information about this case that we come upon if you give us all of the information that you have. So it was a weird relationship. Everything is corrupt here. So the law doesn't matter anyway. Um, I feel like that's journalistically, ethically questionable. Questionable. Oh, yeah, it totally is. You should not. And I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Um. I would definitely want to have a relationship with the police department, but not in this manipulative way. So your relationship should not be um, consistent with you doing something for them or them doing something for you that is special. Right. Exactly. Unethical. Absolutely. That is against the SBJ code of ethics. Don't do that. Yes. It's in clear violation of it. And I, again, I would strike up something between the police. I'd be like, Hey, I want to be able to report on this case. You have to have a working relationship between police and newspapers anyway, but you have to do it in this very professional manner. And as a journalist, I strive to convey information to the public. I'm not striving necessarily for people to want to read my whole paper all the time. It's not about that. It's about providing information and being able to... Seek the truth and yes, report it. There exactly. is one. Exactly. <laughs> there it is. That's what I want to do. I want to seek the truth and then I want to report it. But seeking the truth does not mean violating ethical codes at all. No, <laughs> so, not at all. And or I mean, the law. Like, we can't violate the law. We have to follow the law. So this is in clear violation of that. Well, but. it's just like as a reader, I would be like, this seems questionable. Weird. First, yeah. that doesn't even, that makes your story questionable. Even if it is 100% accurate, I'm questioning you now as a journalist. Right. Um, but also like... I wouldn't have done that because you don't want to create this precedence that that's how it's going to be in future cases. And I don't know. I mean, I've worked with police and journalism. And if you're just nice and like don't piss them off and don't get in their way, then like they'll give you the information they have to. Absolutely. And if they don't, you always have freedom of information act on your side. So it's like you don't need to stoop to that level. But I mean, this conversation isn't relevant because <laughs> journalism today is not journalism then. So no. moot and, point. And the LAPD is not how it was then either, which it was pretty bad back then. The corruption was I mean, insane. And <laughs> we'll talk about it, friends. On but part three. <laughs> so thank you for listening. And um, we'll talk to you on part three. <laughs> Bye. Bye.